So, uh, as you guys know, Justin's not going to be joining us for this episode of The Besties. And, you know, a lot of people call him either the dead weight that we drag along or the sort of mm-hmm. spinal cord of the entire sort of body of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely in between those two. Well, I would actually say they're the same, right? A spinal cord mm-hmm. really is just the dead weight that the skin drags along. Damn, that's that's some. You're on some HR Giger shit over there. <laughs> it's a little too early in the morning for that for me. But I did want you guys to know because I know that Justin's been saying that he's been doing. You know, he's out there doing missionary work, and you know, he has all these like cool things he says he's doing. But he mm. is, he is at a Guinness Book of World Records breaking attempt for the world's largest indoor potluck right now and i told him that that's a bad like in the current sort of viral climate sure that that's not a good and he took like four or five planes to get, it's in cincinnati and he mm-hmm. still took like five planes to get there oh i read about this in in washington post this morning it's all finger food it's all finger food yeah right, so it's yeah. a lot it's a, it's a, it's a lot of uh it, it's a, it's a lot of tea sandwiches yeah um no bake cookies fondue kind of dipping station right but just your fingies like you right, just yeah. put your fingers right in the hot cheese um, hand scooped chili hand scooped chili <laughs> is of course a big component mm-hmm. uh crustless pizza uh it's a it's a big it's ba- they're doing a big double dare challenge yeah mm-hmm. well we wish him well I don't wish him well. I think it's sort of ethically reprehensible. But, oh. Uh, it's his right as an American citizen. <laughs> My name is Griffin McRoy, and I know the best game, uh, the wor- the best game mechanics in bad games. My name is Chris Plant, and I'm here too. My name is Russ Fresh, and I know the best things we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the best teaser to talk about the latest Chris Gross game. <laughs> I don't know that I can vin- like poorly ventriloquist his entire sort of bit. This is the, the we talk about the best things, uh, magazines, um, perfumes. Uh, Classic. This week we're talking about video games. Watch out for Pac-Man. Pac-Man's coming back. Pac-Man, it's not just Pac-Man anymore. It was Pac-Man, but now it's not Pac-Man. And uh, Justin's, <laughs> just, Justin's not here, so it's just three of us, but it's not going to be awkward, even though he is sort of our own like mutual... Like, I don't know you two fucking clowns from Adam, no. but uh, Justin is sort of my my gateway into mm-hmm. our friendship. So this is strange for me. Yeah, yeah we're just going to work through it. Okay. He, uh, he did uh, wish uh, us well. He said, take a sip of Coca-Cola. And I said, oh, okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about Game mechanics that are very good inside of video games that are not very good, which is a departure, I think, from format, even for us, which is <laughs> saying something. Uh, but, you know, the release calendar has slowed down quite a bit, and, you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot of other games stuff to talk about, and I think that this is, uh, this is rich. Uh, according to the responses we've gotten from the audience, it is a, a deep, deep vein. So I think we're just going to kind of bounce around, round robin. Yeah, well, so so I initially had this idea, and what made me think of it, maybe I should just suggest, or I should start with what the uh, impetus of this was. Yes. And I do not want to talk a lot about Ghost of Tsushima, because we've already spent a lot of time talking about it. I know a lot of people like it, and that's great, and I'm really actually super happy for those people. It wasn't for me, but that's fine. 
But there is a mechanic in that game that I specifically wanted to call out that I really would love to see in other open world games that I thought was brilliant. And it was using R2 to pick shit up in that game. So you're just saying the button command that they have. Yeah, the button command they picked (laughs) to, so when you're in the world, you can like pick up cloth and various other shit and you use R2 to do that. And that seems like a very basic who cares kind of choice, right? It does, right? But but then you think about it, and I was I, as I was playing, I was remembering what, like, wow, it's kind of nice to be able to pick stuff up with R two. And the reason for that <laughs> is when you're. What are you talking? It about? It keeps sounding like you're talking about the droid. No, I'm, I'm talking about the button on a PlayStation controller. The reason I like it so much is because it means that I do not have to move my thumbs off of the sticks to look at the thing that I want to pick up. Okay. My thumbs stay on the sticks and I can hit R2. And I thought that was a really smart idea and something that I would like love to see in other open world games. Now, I should mention, it's possible that other open world games have done it and Ghost of Tsushima <laughs> lifted it from other games. That is possible. So I don't want to give it full credit unless I know for sure. But I would say I thought that was a really good example okay. of something that I would love to see in other games. Dear listener... Though this may have started from humble origins, we are going to talk about more exciting things in video games. I think that's interesting. No, let's talk about some of our favorite sort of uh, button commands. (laughs) Uh, I like uh, reload on square. You can't beat it, baby. That's, of course, the button that it should go on. I I agree. R2 is good. It's just, it's not glamorous, right? Like, we're going to be talking about things like flying. We're going to be talking about, like, uh, spinning blade boomerangs, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, but how many of those let you pick up stuff without lo- with the R two button? Yeah, you've you've professed your your enjoyment of this button. Um, I, I'll I'll start because I feel like thank you. Um, uh, my first my first one is kind of the uh the 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 pinnacle of this because it for me it is one of the uh most heartbreakingly disappointing games of all time i i confess to um when i was just starting out in the industry and like went to my first couple like game conventions like my first e3 that i went Mm. to there is an inherent sort of excitement to playing video games that aren't out yet and that other people haven't gotten to play right like that's the entire thing of e3 and an important part of being a responsible game journo is kind of divorcing that like inherent excitement from giving your critical thoughts about a a game that hasn't been Mm. released yet right sure uh and that's that's i I will admit to that not being something i was great at at you know my first couple e3s because when i uh saw dark void at e3 which was a title uh published by capcom and put out by airtight games that was like a rocketeer game right it was a rocketeer game Uh, i was rocketeer Mm. Well, it was like an alt alt universe rocketeer with yeah. like Nikolai Tesla, like giving you all your upgrades. I I was so psyched for this game coming out of E3 because like it looked tight as hell. It felt like pretty cool. The flying in the game was like fantastic, and uh, the score was was fantastic. And then the mm. game came out and was just kind of bad. And that was so disappointing for me because I was so ready to be like completely blown away by it. Uh, Airtight Games was a studio that was formed largely out of the core development team for Crimson Skies. Oh, yeah. Which was an Xbox Live arcade title? No, no. It was a full, it started as an original Xbox game. Original uh, Xbox game, yes. And then there was another Crimson Skies game after that. Yes, High Road to Revenge, I think was either the sequel. Yes, that was the sequel. So uh, Crimson Skies was like the best 
like plain combat game, or at least like you know, not not uh, Ace Combat style. Yeah, it was like a super high fi fighter. Just yes, it was like an arcadey biplane sort of combat game, and it it was fantastic. It was fucking cool. That game really was awesome. And so when it came out that this new team had spun out of there and were making this Rocketeer action game called Dark Void. Like everybody was like ready to be ready to be mm-hmm. wowed, uh, and the the score for that game was created by Bear McCreary, who is of course one of the most like prolific composers of all time, and I enjoy his work. This was like the best he's ever done. It is a weird like lightning in a bottle like masterpiece. The theme song to Dark Void is like one of my favorite video game theme songs wow. of all time. It was my phone ringtone for a long time. Wow. Uh, it is an incredible bop. Uh, I remember also he made like an 8-bit Mega Man style remix version of it that was also like pretty fresh and also my phone ringtone for a while. It had like weird, a, a weird imbalance of production values where like the music was fantastic and the game looked really good and then it was also buggy as fuck like it was yeah. impossible certain levels were like really impossible to be and also they made a big deal out of having vertical cover combat kind of like gears of war style you know shooting but going up a wall and it was pretty uninspired and it was just cover based shooting it was just cover based shooting but on a different sort of plane so yeah that that game had some of the best feeling flying that yeah. has ever been in a game and you know there haven't been that many great like rocketeer action games, right? And still, like it just dropped the ball and was so airtight so, games. So heartbreaking. Should have stuck to the air. Airtight Games is such a weird developer because they went on to make Quantum Conundrum, which was oh, Kim yeah. Swift's uh, was portal puzzle game, which is cool. It was really neat. Yeah. It had a lot of great ideas. And then made Murdered Soul Suspect <laughs> for oh, Square Enix. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a. I mean, that's, that's good. A strange that's good body of diverse. Work. Yeah. Um, uh, Y'all, I have to tell you about a very special time in video games. Uh, Fair warning. Going to talk about some Ubisoft games. Ubisoft in the news. Oh, my God. uh, I'm looking at your list now. (laughs) Pretty despicable. Uh, Everybody should Google that. Um, They've been having uh, a number of uh, troubles uh, for rampant harassment uh, claims of their company. But I'm going to talk about a period from a long time ago. Um, Maybe, I don't know, like, 10 years ago when this was all definitely going on hey, still hey, hey if we were uh, not going to talk about uh games from bad studios we would just not have the show but um, okay, but <laughs> one of your one of your games dead ass came out in 2018 that was two no 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 ago. i'm not talking about those yet no spoilers okay okay, okay. no spoilers okay, so okay. so I'm, I'm gonna paint you a picture ubisoft now people are like oh big studio similar to like ea activision right like they have mm. far cry and they have rainbow six siege and they have uh assassin's creed a while ago, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, they were trying to get to this level, but we're definitely not here yet. And their strategy was, we will just fund things that are truly bonkers. And I think people forget, now that Assassin's Creed is super popular, Assassin's Creed was a deeply weird game when it first came out. It was yeah. this like weird parkour game set in like historical settings. There was nothing like it. So... I distinctly remember a pre-E3 demo where we were in um, in California looking at like all the stuff that was going to be in E3, and they showed Assassin's Creed 2, which was already st- still pretty weird. They were talking about how you're going to like fight the Pope or whatever, um, <laughs> and they're like, okay, we have these other games, and because we think they really capture our, our innovative flavor, and those two games were Driver San Francisco, mm-hmm. which I'll talk about, and Sean White skateboarding, not snowboarding, 
what? skateboarding. And I want to talk about Sean White skateboarding first because it is definitely not a great game. <laughs> but Sean White skateboarding is Sean White skateboarding. Already off to a strange start. <laughs> Uh, also, Sean White, as a skateboarder, has a power he never had as a snowboarder, which is the ability to create green material oh. that trails him so he can grind through the air and then grind these, like, imaginary green poles that he just materializes throughout yeah. random cities. It was it was basically a Silver Surfer situation, but with a skateboard. Yes. But he's not a skateboarder. Or a Silver Surfer. This is like if, if if they made a game called like Gary Kasparov Extreme BMX. Like it's not what you it's not your discipline, bud. He, 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 listen, the, uh, what is he? The flying tomato. He skateboards. He's he, he's got he's yeah, got he can a side both. passion. But y- come on, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna uh, in, be in the shoes of Sean White, you know you're gonna put me on some slopes, right? Like right. that's that's where I want to be. So there's that, and I don't need to talk about that game any more than that because it's I do impossible to, to find. I do want to mention uh, it is Sean White's birthday today. He's 56 years old today, so happy birthday to Sean White. <laughs> that can't be I know true. we haven't seen him in a while, but... That can't be true. <laughs> um, Driver San Francisco, also, uh, what a wonderful game. They say, hey, uh, Driver, remember that that game from like the PlayStation <laughs> 1 era where you just drove around in an open world? It was like GTA, but you couldn't get out of the car it was okay you could like run into people who were trying to have a nice meal uh on the sidewalk what if we did that game again but made it google maps and you are just flagrantly inside of the story of the hit bbc show uh is it life on mars uh, life on mars correct life on yeah. mars in which you are uh in a coma in in the real world and you are uh trying to solve a mystery in your coma world and because you're in a coma you are now in san francisco and you have the ability to leap out of your material form mm-hmm. into the sky and increasingly get higher and higher you know for, you can pull further and further back as an upgrade system and then uh put yourself into the driver of any vehicle in San Francisco, uh, and it is wonderful. The game it's really itself cool. is a bit of a mess. It's uh, it, it it's driving is heavy. I think is the word I would use for it. Um, mm-hmm. But it is very fun to effectively break it by uh, saying, "Oh, you know what I'm going to do in this chase mission? Instead of uh, chasing them, I'm just going to move." A mile ahead of me, I'm going to take over a semi. I'm just going to block off the road and wait for whoever I'm chasing to careen into it, completing the mission. Yeah, what's funny is that like they could have had that mechanic and not explained it, like not had a weird mythos about a coma and just been like, yeah, you can switch to whatever car you want. But no, they had to justify it and give you coma powers. <laughs> this was the, also the game that sort of made Ubisoft Reflections ubisoft's like car makers right they were the one that they were they made driver san francisco and then i remember like every game ubisoft like hey we got watchdogs um reflections this one's got cars in it can you do them <laughs> so, too so well I'll, I'll make this very quick but that brings me to the modern day ubisoft where a little i don't know maybe like three years ago they did round two of this and they're like i don't know let's just do weird stuff again and we'll just keep sinking money into these things even if they're not immediately hits worked out for rainbow six siege so they made two games with nearly identical mechanics one is reflections came back and they made the crew two, where you can fly or drive or boat at any time anywhere (laughs) in a 
weird version of the United States, including being a, a plane and then just transforming into a boat mid-flight, falling out of the sky. <laughs> Why you need to do this? It, not really part of the game, but it's super fun to do. And then uh, Steep, which is, I think, fantastic, but a lot of people dislike, uh, which lets you pick your spot anywhere on a giant map of a mountain and then decide if you want to ski or snowboard or sled or jetpack or parasail. Yeah, they just keep adding stuff to this game. There is and I'm convinced. Yeah, so I'm convinced that they keep adding stuff, but I am the only person playing because I've actually had to restart it a few times because I, I like moved platforms. And every time I restart, it will I will literally complete the first hour and it will give me like on Xbox the diamond achievement and it'll be like 0.2% of people have completed this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa, rough. I feel like we should skip Russ because he did R2 to pick up things in Ghost of Tsushima. (laughs) That's reasonable. No, go ahead. So Call of Duty Ghosts, uh, not a very good game, but it did start with a mission in space. Now, one of the things that I think is generally missing from Call of Duty games, it's fine to have them be serious, but a lot of them... A lot of times it can be like a little uh, intense and a lot to deal with. I kind of wanted just like a a goofy, over-the-top, outrageous Call of Duty game that didn't really uh, worry too much about being like super serious or dark. And when Call of Duty Ghost started in space with you as an astronaut in a full astronaut suit, I was like, man, this is like going for it. This is going to be like a wild Call of Duty game. And then a minute later, you're in trenches and running through empty buildings, and it was like the most boring (laughs) thing ever. But it should be noted that the space returns. If you slog your way through the totally awful, boring campaign, I I think last mission or second to last mission actually takes place back in space. Not only that, not only are you an astronaut again, you've got a motherfucking assault rifle in space shooting (laughs) other astronauts who are also in space against your plan in space. So everyone is fighting in space. And it was like a genuinely ridiculous, outrageous moment that actually is really well rendered. Like it looks very authentic and cool and um, made me really wish that they were more Call of Duty games that were like that ridiculous and outrageous. In space, honestly, in space. Now I know they made one. In space, it should be noted, they made, uh, what is it, Infinite Warfare? And you love it. And it also a very good game. So maybe I just like Call of Duty space games. What's up? (laughs) Before we, before we, uh, I'm going to do a a very quick rapid fire round before we go to to the break. But also before that, I need to point out the entire time that Frush was telling this, something I don't know what, has been dangling over the tip of his head like the Sword of Damocles. Oh, God, it's his clicker. It's his dog it's, clicker. It's my it's dog clicker. It, it was menacing. It, it did kind of look like the, uh, the, the, the best boy key grip yeah. on the besties had lowered the boom accidentally into the shot. Uh, okay, let's do a quick one, because I, I feel like my second yeah. one is very, very similar to my first one in a kind of weird way, because the first E3 I went to, the game that had made like a huge splash and came out of nowhere was Scribble Knots. The very oh, first Scribble Knots. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember like coming back to the joystick war room and being like, I've seen the future. <laughs> uh, because Scribble Knots was a, I think, a Nintendo DS game at first. And the whole premise is that you could write any word and it would create the object in game. I had just learned the word plumb bob 
from the Sims, like some Sims thing that I went to at E3 and they were like challenging me, like, can you think of a word that's not in the game? And I said, plum bob. And they're like, ooh, that one's not in there. And so they added it. It's like what the is- name of a, a plum bob is the name of the shape over the Sims head, but it's also a dangly bit on a chandelier. <laughs> Oh, terrific. I know, right? Uh, so I was like so bowled over by this game uh, and like couldn't stop playing it every time I like was at the show floor uh, at E3 and then it came out and I played it just as everybody else did for about 20 minutes or I was like, a big butt? Okay, that's it, the end. Uh, that that game, I think it was fixed uh, in some part by Scribblenauts Unlimited, I believe was the, the one that came out on Wii U and a couple other ones. Uh, because it mixed up the sort of the the variety of the challenges because mm-hmm. in the original Scribblenauts, you could pretty much write, I, I remember there was like a secret catch catchphrase and it was like invincible, deadly angel wings. And if you just wrote that every time, it would help you beat like every single challenge. Which is true in real life as well, for what it's worth. Uh, it, the game, like, I, I don't know, the, the controls felt like terrible. Like it was ostensibly a platformer puzzly game and the platforming felt like so bad. Uh, it was like paper dolls kind of just flailing all around the place. I played the the Wii U game with uh, my wife, Rachel. It was like one of the first games we played together. And it was it is a fun game to show to people mm-hmm. and show them like, hey, this game has like an infinite dictionary that you can generate stuff out of. And that's a really special, cool, and I imagine really difficult thing to to get right. And they got that right. But I, there may not even be a fix for this, right? Like how do you have a user-generated thing like that and also provide any kind of like coherent challenge or game behind it Uh, and unlimited did a better job of that but i i never thought that it like lived up to the the premise here's my quick one earth defense force one of the greatest games of all time one of the greatest series let me shoot every building and then make it go boom and then it breaks down in an open world why has everybody not done this yet crackdown is supposed to do this you know what crackdown didn't do they didn't do this they didn't do this (laughs) that's everybody is missing the obvious. I guess there's been a few examples, like Just Cause kind of, not every building, once you blow up explosive steps, like the Pandemic Games kind of did this. Red Faction Gorilla. Kind of did it. Red Faction Gorilla. Okay, well, spoilers, I was going to talk about that later. but Uh. Red Faction Gorilla is also a masterpiece, but also that's just a good game. Earth Defense Force, I recognize, is not a traditionally good game it's extremely repetitive um and getting to the point where you have fun weapons can take hours um (laughs) but look it's it's such a cool mechanic just somebody who has a budget please put it in your games i'm (laughs) begging you oh no giant ants from earth defense force have taken me away and i won't see you until after the commercial break now the audience is going to be scared that you're going to be hurt by big ants. Ah! <laughs> All right. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want. Get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself. 
on multiple different monthly payments I have, and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. You go get a phone. You just want a phone. Talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details. And all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? I'm not going to pull that nonsense. Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or you want to have a nice, easy solution save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month. Say bye to your overpriced wireless plan's jaw-dropping monthly bills. The unexpected overages sound familiar? To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode of The Besties is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames, and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. We got more back. Oh, fuck. (laughs) We need Justin. We do need Justin, I think.
I don't know. So let's do our third. I, I want Russ to justify. I'm going to highlight on the Google Doc. I can't wait to hear you talk about why this is a good thing that I've highlighted here. Okay, so Griffin has gone ahead and highlighted Brutal Legend, and in parentheses I wrote, the aesthetic. There's now. good things in Brutal Legend. Brutal Legend's a bad game with good things in it. Yeah. I do not know that the aesthetic is it. I think the aesthetic is one of the good things in it. Obviously, Jack Black's performance is also very good. Uh, for those that don't remember, Brutal Legend was uh, a game made by EA and um, uh, Tim Schafer and his team at, what's the studio called? Double Fine. Double Fine, thank you. And um, it had a lot of uh, interesting ideas uh, regarding like bringing classic heavy metal albums to life in a video game. It also had a really bad RTS combat system that I really just shudder to think about. But we're going to focus on the other part of it. So that one of the big uh, like art challenges is basically recreating all these classic album cover type things in a video game in 3D space, which is something that like people hadn't really done ever that I can think of. Um, so you have these like kind of epic, outrageous, uh, not realistic, certainly, but like spires and mountains and castles and dragons with flames coming out of them in but like in that sort of heavy metal like that comic book style um, that drew me in. I mean, that honestly was like what I was really interested in was just like that the look of it as well as the Jack Black performance. So I thought all that was good. It was just super, super hindered by the core gameplay of the like RTS combat stuff, which was just like bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. Why? Did Are you, guys you a think- big fan of heavy metal, Russ? No, but I like, the, I like games that look different. And when this game sure. came out, I thought this game looked very different. Like it wasn't just like traditional, you know, fantasy tropes like castles and dragons, which I've mentioned, but also just like uh, they were very playful with like how they integrated stuff like speakers and music notes and other elements yeah. into the uh, art design. I, it really stood out to me. And I it think was it also colorful in a time when yeah. games oh, were not God, particularly yeah. colorful. What was it, yeah, 2008? Two thousand was even yeah around two thousand seven maybe earlier or somewhere around there but yeah this was a time of like browns and greens and dark drab colors and this was like right. very bright and silly and funny and yeah so it was just like a nice tonal change I honestly kind of remember it was two thousand nine that it came out I think the reason the aesthetic like is not something I look back on fondly is like this is when I feel like I experienced tenacious D kind of burnout. I like I loved Tenacious D like growing up and in high school and and the movie came out and I remember being like okay, okay. like I I, I kind of get it and I feel like that that like heavy metal sort of like Dio drenched shit was was uh, a little over now they're back and you know they're they're doing their thing again Good yeah. This is not a game in particular. I guess it kind of, it, it is used for games. I want to talk about the VMU, oh the virtual memory unit for the Dreamcast, uh, right. which was incredible. I remember very, very fondly, my brother got the Dreamcast at like a midnight launch and like fell asleep and I stayed up literally all night, pulled an all-nighter playing Sonic Adventure. Hmm. Uh, and he like woke up and I was just like not playing anymore. I was just fucking around with the chaos the little yeah. blobs that you could collect animals from the like levels, bring them back and like feed the animals to the chaos. That can't possibly be right. 
you like rub the animals up against the KOs and they transform into like different shapes or whatever. It was like a Tamagotchi situation. It was, yes. So you could save them to the VMU. If you'd never played a Dreamcast, the VMU, the Dreamcast controller had a cutout in the center of it with a little window Mm -hmm. and you would slot the VMU right into that cutout so that the window would be basically now in the center of your controller. They would use it. I would argue extremely poorly for most games. For Shinmu, <laughs> they would do. For Shinmu, Shinmu was whoever designed the Shinmu use of the VMU was like out of their fucking gourd because instead <laughs> of looking at the the quick time event like button prompts that appear on the television screen that you're playing <laughs> Shinmu on, they would also appear on the VMU mm, on the controller if you want to sure. like look down at your controller like a like a complete uh, a lunatic. It was great for football games. Because on football sure, games, actually, you yes. can see the plays on the VMU if you're playing multiplayer, and people can see what plays you're picking. Yeah, there were certainly yes. And in Sonic Adventure, you could pop the VMU out, and you could take your KO with you on the road, which I did. I took the VMU to like my middle school, where I nurtured it tenderly all day, and then <laughs> I got home. Justin was super fucking angry because I had taken this yeah. necessary component uh, <laughs> out of the out of the machine. Uh, I really liked it. PlayStation had one too, right? The puck station i want to say yes. there was also something fairly similar to it in my favorite pokemon game of all time which is heart gold soul silver for the ds which had oh, yeah. the uh pokeball that you was also a pedometer so you could like walk around with it and like level up your pokemon and like find items as you were going around i think i re- i just really like that idea of uh oh shit look at look at chris playing what Shot. you got there uh, yeah. oh yeah pokemon you, pikachu that's pretty great right. yeah I thought you had a VMU sitting there. I no, was very it's impressed. not a. So the, I I like the idea of a second screen experience. I remember when that was like a buzzword. When it was like you're going to use your phone and you can do whatever. Blah blah blah. I think that's because I like I hearken back to the Halcyon days of, you know, Four Swords Adventures and Crystal Chronicle that you yeah. would play with the Game Boy Advance plugged into the GameCube. Um, but the joy of this was it wasn't your phone, right? Like no, that was, right, that was the yeah. pleasure of it. At the same time, uh, looking back on it, what a wild idea to have right? you take your save files on yeah. the go with you right like before cloud saves that I, I i had never thought about how strange that is until literally just this moment what a horrible idea well but i mean it, i mean every game every cartridge worked like that too like yeah but you would keep your cartridge you had no reason to you weren't incentivized right. to like okay i'm gonna take my cartridge my cartridge to school to, school to show yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and everybody like, look at my final yeah. fantasy guys i leveled them up really good that's just the <laughs> cartridge I played Final Fantasy. I, I had my KO uh, in the one shop class I took, and I remember repeatedly being told I was going to have it taken away. And I, what I did not a fate worse than death. Yeah, was that yeah that that would be all of my saves for a Dreamcast. That would be also you brought it you brought it into wood shop, which seems also very risky. I, I mean, that. it was a really boring class. <laughs> uh, Chris, you want? I feel like Chris. I feel like you burned through a lot of years already. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, don't worry about me. Let, let, let's let's talk he about. Ran out. Uh, uh, let's talk about the the potion door. Uh, okay, let's talk about the potion door. There's a little game called Super Mario Brothers Two, which we all know was not really a Mario game, and they kind of converted it into one. And it's, I would say, not a bad game, but one of the worst Mario games. Anyone disagree with that? I would I would accept sure. I do not agree with the first part because it is a bad it is a bad game. Uh, I think it's I think it's like a B minus game. It's an okay game. It's a it's one of the better NES platforms. It's still playable and it was an NES game. That's kind of a mirror. That's a yeah, <laughs> that's <sure>. fair. <laughs> uh it's not not an amazing game. Certainly not one of the uh, better uh, Super Mario Brothers games, but it did had have one mechanic that I was really impressed by, and that was the potion door. 
Now, as you'd go through the levels, obviously Mario is used to uh, hitting question mark blocks and mushrooms popping out and all sorts of exciting things like that. One of the things that would pop out was a potion. Now, when you think about a potion and you drop it on a gra- on the ground, maybe a plant's going to grow, but a door? Mm. All right. <laughs> okay, so that's it? That's, that's where we're going to stop? I was waiting for some sort of reaction. So, yes, the door shows up. And when you go in the door, it does the uh, basically it inverts the world exactly where you were standing. But the world is now like with darker colors and like it's nighttime, I guess. And in that inverted version, there might be like bonus coins or something like that. What blew my mind as a kid was just the idea that there was like the normal level. And then there was this like sub level behind every single normal level where they didn't know where you're going to drop the potion. Like, you could drop it anywhere. And the fact that you could drop it anywhere and, like, create this sublevel that most people maybe haven't seen before was always very cool to me. Now, obviously, the end result of that generally was pretty boring. Oh, there's some coins yeah. here. Big whoop. But just the concept of it I thought was very cool. Um, and uh, Justin and I have a video about Super Mario Brothers 2 history if you're interested in learning more on YouTube. Now I feel like it's an, an annoyance more than anything because I know there are certain spots in each yeah. subspace where you can get the mushroom that increases your hearts. But if you don't drop the potion in the right place, like you can't get to it. So like yeah. playing Super Mario Brothers 2 now is kind of a game of just like, ah, fuck. I think it's on this hill. No. God. <laughs> potion wasted. Potion wasted. Griffin, what do you got? Uh, my, my last one is, I went on a trip for this one, uh, Monster Rancher. Uh, which was the, man, if you were in the mainstream and you wanted to play a monster catching game, you would play Pokemon. (laughs) If you were kind of a hipster about it, you would play Digimon or Neopets. Um, If you were me, you played Jade Cocoon and you were the only one who ever (laughs) played that video game and people think you're dreaming when you talk about it. And then if you're nobody, you played Monster Rancher, which was a, I mean, it is what it says on the tin. You're a rancher, you raise monsters, they compete in fights, they can level up and learn new abilities, and there's a ton of different monsters. It's less about the, like, exploration, and I don't even, it's not like an open world game. Like, you have your ranching screen and your battle screen, and that's, like, Mm -hmm. it. And for the first, I believe, four games in the series, the way that you got new monsters, Monster Rancher came out on the PS1, you would pop that disc tray open while the game was running and then put in any cd and it would generate a monster based on the you know random number values found on that cd right and it would create a monster out of that Billy Joel monster he would climb out of a little piano and the piano had teeth and he would climb out and he would he would he would be called the piano the piano man (laughs) and he had fire attacks and it was very very cool um, no, it was not related to the shit at all. I think actually in the later games, there were certain, like, there were certain tie-ins. I am, wow. I am yeah. blanking, but it was like, if you put in a game by the same publisher, like they had special exclusive monsters or something. Yeah. The monsters also, they were pre-designed. Like they weren't yes, like yeah. being generated, inspired by what was on this disc. It Correct. Was just yes. Like the coding in the disc would trigger different monsters being unlocked. Right. There were different archetypes of monsters, but it would change like I think certain features or the color of the monster or the, and their stats and what attacks that they had and, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. Uh, and I just thought that was such a cool idea. Like I really liked I I, I really liked the idea of things in the real world being able to inform my my video game mm. uh, long before like 
Skylanders or Amiibos or like anything like that. Uh, the idea that like my everybody had a CD binder at that time. Like the idea that like this CD binder contained like the keys I would need to like create certain monsters. Then I could tell my friends like, "Yo." you got to put Hoobastank in there. It's going to give you a super strong, like, fire horse. And they'll be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, one thing I want to clarify for everybody, because you hear the words monster rancher and you think, like, oh, this is like a calm pastoral game no. of just ranching monsters. Uh, the the box art for the PlayStation 1 edition uh, first has the words virtual monster breeder and giant print on the top left and then it has what i guess is just a a giant yellow one-eyed ball with a long snake-like tail which i think is the main character and it is so big and so intense and so radical that it appears to be breaking the case in which the game is contained uh the the fake glasses shattered also there's a translucent cd for whatever reason it looks like his name should be Ike Wazowski. He was, if memory serves, <laughs> the mascot for the entire Monster Rancher franchise. And I'm yeah. so glad you pointed out the box art to Monster Rancher 1 because this is the uh, box art for Monster Rancher 4. It is the same uh, yellow uh, mono-eyed creature, but he literally is just <laughs> taking up the entirety of the box and he is just barreling down the camera like, I'm going to fucking hurt everyone you care about with my weird little noodle. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're the one who put Hoobastank in the PlayStation. You made me. What happens next is because of you and Hoobastank. Y'all, I got one one more game. It's a game called Guilty Party. It was out on the Nintendo Wii. And it was made by Disney Interactive back when that was a thing. And the campaign was like, I don't know, four or five hours. It was preset Clue, basically. But... The multiplayer mode was randomly generated clue. So it would have these randomized cases, uh, and you play as detectives, and you would have all these different clues and mini games, and like, there would be all the different, you know, potential suspects who have uh, done who knows what. Um, and you would have to solve it with family and friends. And it looked cool, it was cool, it has been erased from time. Again, because I think it was like going to be tied to a cartoon show. I don't know if that even ever came out. And the campaign, as I said, was relatively forgettable. Um, but if you have a Wii that is still plugged in, I would absolutely recommend finding this. I've never uh, heard of this game. 900 hours on eBay. I'm sure I think it's, it's a like steal. three bucks. I think it's one of those games <laughs> that people are just like, well, I'm sure they busy made a ton of copies that never sold. Um, okay. Is it reader mail time? Yes. Let's dive in. There's some interesting, there's some, there's some spicy takes in here. I'm excited to read these. Uh, uh, you want to kick it off, Griffin? Yeah. Jeremy uh, says, I liked that the character height and girth had a mechanical impact on how the player moved in the world of Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen. I think Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen, you can make a case for being like the pinnacle of the exact topic that we are discussing <laughs> today. I've given that game a lot of fair shakes. I played a lot of it when it came out on Switch. And it's not a terrible game. Like, you can play it. It is not a bad game. But I think it has way more mechanics than it, like, justifies. Mm. And a lot of those mechanics are really, really cool 
ideas. The idea of like climbing around a monster and yeah. stabbing its butt or whatever until it falls over. The way that it handles like classes and character generation and sharing those characters. Like it has so many cool ideas for what is essentially like kind of a okay video game. If Justin was here, he would be a staunch Justin defender. Loves, loves this game. Dragon Dogma. I can't, it's, it is somewhat heartbreaking that we are doing this segment without Justin because Justin's favorite type of games are, if I don't mention Dark Sector, that was like the glaive throwing game that was like incredibly violent. You had this like uh, boomerang, bladed boomerang that you could throw through enemies, but you could change the element by like throwing it through electricity and then hitting somebody. Justin like adores that terrible video game. Yeah. Uh, speaking of games Justin does not adore, uh, this is from uh, Kapakui. Maybe that's the right way to pronounce it. I'm sorry if I got your Twitter name wrong. Uh, I really enjoyed personally how profoundly the gameplay story interwove with itself in Near Gestalt and how some side quest forced you to examine your expectations of helping others and how the whole story wrapped up in the end with spoilers. I mean, this is an old game. <laughs> Deleting your save file, which is actually something tied to other Near games. Uh, Wait, hey, this was, is Near Gestalt the first Near game? Near, well, uh, do you really want me to go down that hole? I mean, I was it the first? So. It was Near game first released. named Near game released in America, named okay. Near. Um, right. Yes, and it was the one that had the fishing mini game. Right. Infamously, yes. um, uh, Near Gestalt is uh, a very difficult play- game to play. It is not, as somebody who loves the series, it is a challenge. They're making a remaster of it, so hopefully that'll make it more accessible to a lot more people, because uh, 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 this person is right. Like it, it's has so many good ideas that largely are done again and better in Nier Automata. Uh, Fresh, do you have one from here you want to pull? Uh, yeah, this is one from Cody M. Thompson. Uh, it's a fairly obvious one, but the movement and Iron Man-like abilities in Anthem were great. I just wish oh. there was a good game that was wrapped around it. Totally 100% agree. Uh, yeah, movement and like Iron Man abilities do feel awesome. The problem is, once you're up in the air with a jetpack, shooting guys with like a machine gun feels stupid. I mean, there's a lot of problems with Anthem, but that's just one of them is like, you spend a lot of time just sort of hovering and shooting guys with a machine gun, which is problematic. But man, the movement feels amazing in this. I don't pretty think that's an inherently game. like not viable thing. Like My, using I, there might be a way around using it, gun. I, I think the rule is if you're gonna give me that option, then I need to be able to swoop down, pick people up, fly very high, and then drop them. Mm. Yeah, that that's would be the cool. mechanic. I, right? I don't know. I would rather shoot. A very small gun at a big robot monster for ten straight minutes, I think, sounds like a cooler thing to me. But that's just yeah, me. that sounds that's different. my that's my power fantasy, and you don't get to you don't get to pick that. Uh, should we uh, talk about other stuff that we've been? Wait, playing? there's one more quick one I wanted to call out. Oh yeah, uh, this please. is from McG Mariah. I think that's how you say that. Sure. Um, and uh, uh, basically, a lot of the motion. Specific puzzles and tools in Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword were great ways to innovate on the usual puzzles in the series, but damn, the Wii Motion Plus was bad. Skyward Sword really is the Mario 2 of the Zelda series. It's really not good. <laughs> it's really good, actually. It's weirdly, it's weird that you say that because of how good it is. It's a really wow. good game. Wow. Do you really it's think It's a great that? game. Oh, okay. The, the, the motion controls aren't, aren't awesome, and there's a couple of huge stinkers of ideas, namely the, like, swimming 
segments are like not great, but that game was huge and had rad ideas and is like long overdue for a uh, a Switch port. Mm, interesting. So, okay. Stuff it. I would give the Mario 2 award to uh, Twilight Princess if, if we're going to give it to Whoa. Them. Yeah, I disagree, but interesting. Wow. Okay. To each their own. Um, what else have we been playing? I see Russ. Oh, Russ, I can talk a little bit about this as well. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have joined you on the strange personal journey you've been going on. <laughs> okay. So for the last two weeks, I've spent 52 hours playing Terraria, a game that came out 10 years ago. It's on Switch now. It has been on Switch for a year. Um, I originally played the game on Vita many, many, many years ago, but they've been, basically the gist of Terraria is that it's, it's 2D Minecraft. When you glance at it, like that's what it looks like. Oh, it's just 2D Minecraft. But what's at, what it's actually hiding is like a surprisingly deep open world RPG with like Metroidvania E elements and a really intricate, um, a village building system and NPC upgrade system and all sorts of systems that kind of happen when you build a game and keep updating it for 10 years straight, which they're still doing. The latest update just came out like two or three months ago. So they're still uh, adding stuff to this game. And it is incredibly hard to get into, as Griffin can speak to, but it is really excellent. Yeah, I never got it. I, I have tried Terraria so many fucking times and it never, I never got past like, the first sort of conceptual, like, yeah, hey, you build a house and you go underground and look for mm-hmm. iron. But there's like, and, and I would see that and I would do it and I'd be like, eh, this doesn't feel very good. But once you start like unlocking, I unlock like the grappling hook and the double jump and like a super powerful godly yo-yo. Mm-hmm. And now I can <laughs> kind of like hold my own and explore underground without like getting murdered every 15 seconds. And, you know, moving around isn't like a complete hassle. But like, I don't know, I am I, enjoying it and I'm just now, it is just now getting its hooks into me. Mm. But uh, it is not a fun game for the first good chunk of it. Uh, and it's weird. I re- did either of you ever play Starbound? A that little was like, bit of Starbound, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was Chucklefish's um, basically outer space take on Terraria. Yeah, uh, where you had like a spaceship and you could fly to like randomly generated planets and literally do the exact same shit, like look for resources and find upgrades and do all this stuff. I was really into Starbound, but Terraria never clicked for me because mm-hmm. uh, I think you know for all the stuff they've added, it is a huge game with like a ton of shit to do, and that is what excites me about it now, especially that it's on Switch. It does its first impression is pretty lousy. Yeah, I think it it really doesn't start opening up and getting interesting, as you said, Griffin, until you start getting those upgrades for movement and stuff like that. Yeah, so. let's play multiplayer today. I want to see what that's yeah. like. Yeah, I got two things with uh, bad first impressions, but are very good games. Uh, very quickly, one Horizon Zero Dawn. It is on PC oh, yeah. now, and it looks gorgeous on PC. I really think that this engine, which also was used to power Death Stranding, was built with PC in mind, um, and I guess the PS5, because, wow, these games just naturally... Not naturally. I'm sure there's lots of hard work, but they port well <laughs> to the PC. That said, the first two hours of that game are a grind Oh my yeah. gosh, does it take a long time before you actually get to the fun in that game. Um, and I get it because there's a lot of story that they want to set up, but uh, revisiting the game, you have to muscle through it. Uh, so yeah. it gets it gets great again, but oof. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about is the game of the year, the game of the decade, the game Whoa. of the millennia, Blazeball. Blazeball? Blazeball? What do we want it's to call it? It's probably Blazeball, is it not? It's probably Blazeball. 
but it is uh, a fine wine. Uh, hard to get into because there's not much of a game there, and it doesn't make any sense. There are no graphics. It is a baseball league simulator. Uh, it is on your browser, and you uh, have the opportunity to bet on games. Uh, and then as you win money, you're able to get peanuts and you can use peanuts to do all sorts of things, uh, basically voting on, on changes to the league. Uh, things that have happened in baseball so far, uh, uh, a team has fallen into the pits of hell, becoming the Hades' team. Uh, umpires have, I believe, uh, been incinerated. Um, uh, pitchers just give up, effectively. Uh, it's... it's truly wild and the, and the really cool thing about it and you should follow it on discord because the discord is where all this is happening or it's wiki um fans are creating the backstory that fills in the gaps when all this stuff happens so there is this giant fan fiction story of each season of baseball um that is like effectively canon created by fans in tandem with the uh the developers of the game who are making these decisions. How do you spell Blazeball for the people listening at home? It's baseball so, with an L in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's oh. B-L-A-S-E-B-A-L-L. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to hear Plant spell something. <laughs> sure, no, thank you. Um, uh, great if I whiffed. I have I have also been playing the game we're going to be talking about next week, so we can sit on that. Uh, yeah. Is uh, Fall Guys. Check it out. It is fun. It is a, a, a sort of wacky platformer battle royale. Uh, that is, I would say, very easy to get into. It's like twenty bucks on Steam and PS4. It's it's uh, included in PlayStation Plus. If you have PlayStation oh, Plus, oh really? Yeah, yeah. that's Which I think what, is a, smart. what a get. Yeah, this is sure. also one of those games that we can tell you, hey, even before next week, I th- I think we all like this game quite a bit. Some of us, yeah, love love it. So like, this is a good game. You don't have to uh, worry about uh, hopping on uh, early because there's it a lot feels of good like that. It, 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 it's hard to like boil down our audience into like a single sort of taste or preference but i feel like this is a game that if you listen to our show uh you 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 would like it um and yeah so that's next week thank you for listening and (laughs) follow and listen for free on spotify you're already doing that so i don't know know why we say that at the end of the show but tell a friend that would well, be cool. maybe you haven't. Uh, it's it's worth noting. Maybe you haven't clicked the follow button on Spotify, which actually is helpful because it'll notify you when new episodes happen. Ooh, do that now. Do that this week, mm-hmm. so that like when Spotify looks at the the heuristics or whatever, they'll be like, the one episode Justin wasn't on. Like people went wild for it. What does that mean? <laughs> that'd be like, and we could do like a funny prank on Justin. Yeah, that'd be funny. That'd be like <laughs> hysterical. <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter at yes. the Besties Pod. Um, and hey, that's a great way to share it with a friend. Also, if you want to share it with a friend, it's so easy. Besties.fan. That's the entire link. That's it. Boom. It just sticks it is. right there. Yeah. So we'll be back next week for the besties. Till then. Uh, sh- uh, I'm, sh- till then. Shouldn't the world's best friends play the world's best games? It's a Spotify original podcast in association with Fox Media. The show is edited by Jelani Carter and produced by Ben Hosley. And our theme song is by Ian Dorsch. Best-
besties. besties.